Hello, you're listening to Lens, a theology and film podcast, uh, where we talk about different films and talk about the lenses through which the film is seeing uh, ultimate reality and compare that with the uh, lens of the Christian worldview and the Christian gospel. Um, my name is Brad Witte, and I'm here with Pip Craighead. Hello there. My name is Pip Craighead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the film we are going to talk about today is Dunkirk, uh, Christopher Nolan's most most recent. Um, and uh, what I think is interesting about this film is that on the surface, it doesn't seem to have a lot of like obvious um, spiritual, uh, you know, any kind of spiritual or religious uh, imagery or connections or anything like that. But um, as I thought more about it, I discovered a lot of a lot of at least plot elements and a lot of um, themes going on in the movie that I thought really did reflect um, things that uh, either reflected the Christian worldview and reflected the gospel or uh, were actually distortions or were a distortion of uh, the Christian worldview or, or the, the gospel. And so, yeah, I think we'll just jump right in. Um, the first thing that I, uh, the first thing that I noticed and you know what? That's before we go in. Just oh, anybody yeah. listening, there will be spoilers. FYI. Oh yeah, so if you haven't of, seen it, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> significant. Yeah, significant spoilers on the way. The first, the first theme I noticed was obviously in this film where there, the whole thing is uh, about this crisis and this this moment of just great danger and crisis in World War II, where all of these English soldiers and also French soldiers are caught on the coast of France in Dunkirk and. They're literally miles, only miles from um, from home, from England. They can like in the distance see England, but like it's it's a distance that they need a ship to get over. And they're basically sitting ducks there with um, with Germany, um, you know, bombing them and sinking their ships and attacking them from the air and all these types of things. And so it's just a it's just a very perilous dangerous situation they're in. And one of the first things I noticed in the film is how different characters responded, um, responded to these circumstances, some of them with great self-sacrifice, um, and then some with, with self-preservation. Um, and, uh, yeah, with, with that, I, I guess, I guess the, like the examples of this, like how, where, how we see the fighter pilot, um, in the film, uh, he, we see that in large part, he saves so many lives, uh, by the end of the film because of his self-sacrifice, which results in him not being able to land until much later and basically having to be, um, captured by the Germans at the end of the film. So you see his kind of self-sacrifice and obviously the huge, uh, self-sacrifice of the, of the father and son who are coming, uh, from England uh, who don't know what's ahead, who are, you know, uh, but they're willing to go and, and save other people. So you have that self-sacrifice versus very much this self-preservation, which like kind of hits ahead in the scene with, um, with the men on the ground, the men on the beach who they're all turning on this man who they discover is actually a French soldier. And they're like, they're like trying to justify, um, 
killing this man and throwing him out to his certain death. And so I thought it was, yeah. Well, well were they, they weren't trying to kill him though, right? They, well, they were they basically were trying saying to. saying that they forced him out. Yeah, they were trying to they force him actually out. Kill, yeah. yeah, they were trying to force him out, but essentially doing so with there being gunshots outside, it would more or less mean certain death. Uh, but um, so, yeah, I was noticing those, those two themes interacting throughout the whole film of self-sacrifice and self-preservation. Um and uh, yeah, it, to me, that kind of just reflected how, you know, in the in the New Testament, the kingdom that Jesus is calling us into is one of constant self-sacrifice that is modeled off of his own sacrifice. Um, and it leads into every area of life. It leads into husbands being willing to lay down their lives for their wives. It leads it leads to, um, you know, in community in the church being willing to being willing to sacrifice yourself and being willing to like be generous, even at your own expense uh, for the, for the sake of others. And you see that all over the new Testament. And then the self-preservation theme you see in the movie uh, that just, that just seems to be more the natural tendency (laughs) of mankind uh, where when faced with dire circumstances, um, that is often I, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say. I think I thought it was interesting. Even just that scene when they're in the boat, when the the uh, British soldiers are in the boat, uh-huh. and you know somebody starts shooting, they're trying to force one guy out. Yeah, even, they're re- it's funny just because their reasoning is really kind of silly. If you think, or mm-hmm. perhaps not silly, but it's not really entirely logical that oh, like the boat's not going to float unless we get rid of because it's taking on water, and we need to get rid of just one body. You <laughs> yeah. know. And, Essentially 160 pounds. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If that, right. Like, and it's just kind of funny to think of it's because when you watch it, you think that doesn't really make sense. But Mm. you know, in high stress situations, we all like have like kind of reasoning, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of out of whack with this selfish reasoning, which is just kind of out of whack and it's like fear based. And it's, it's just interesting. I feel like, Mm. I feel like one of the big themes of the film was compassion, whether it's that one guy sticking up for the, the um, French uh, soldier, mm-hmm. but really it's just, it's just kind of funny that the whole, it was almost like a false dilemma in the first place that like, I don't really think that this 120, 160 pound person is going to make that much of a difference to this boat floating, but just like the weird, just how weird people get and intense people get when their lives are on the line. And then, yeah, yeah. And how and that, I was, I was going to say and how that instantly tribalism played into mm-hmm. yep. that oh that it should be this Fr- this french soldier who is kicked off that mm-hmm. just on this basic kind of premise that he's not one of us um yeah. yeah and just like how you see i mean just with in 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 the christian church that jesus is setting up um it's that kind of tribalism like it doesn't exist like we're all yeah. one and we're all one in jesus and everything yeah. and explicitly re- I'm rebuked yeah. Over and over. Like an you know, entire, you know, I think some um, some extent, you know, Galatians is written mm-hmm. about that very topic. And it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's certainly sobering to think of how often that crops has cropped up historically with yeah. at least at least ostensible Christians. Yeah. You know, but like and with legit Christians, and it's just kind of uh yeah, that is just one of the things that keeps coming back is that kind of tribalism. And you yeah. think of you know, also I think it's it's you know, you really think about that tribalism comes really under um, when you kind of think of the historical context too. It's like, oh, the British were there 
to defend the French, such as that guy. Yeah. And then they were, they were allied together against this like onslaught force. I mean, it's weird just to think that you never saw a single German in the entire yeah. film. Yeah. They're like an unseen very, enemy. A very bold. bold choice. Yeah, they're like an unseen enemy the entire time. It's just the it's just kind of that foreboding sense of them of them coming. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, and I think speaking of tribalism too. Well, not tribalism, but of human foibles. Certainly, mm-hmm. I thought Killian Murphy's character was just kind of one of the uh, one of the most fascinating characters in the film when he's a shell shocked shoulder soldier mm-hmm. and he's taken on and he inadvertently results in the death of, of a kid. Yeah. And he just, and the, yeah, just thinking about that and the, the compassion that um, Mark Rylance's uh, character shows him in the sense of just saying he's not himself, you know, yeah. like he's acknowledging he's shell shocked instead of just like, you know, yelling at him or mm-hmm. tearing him apart. Just, I thought that was very interesting. That compa- like just showing these human foibles, but without necessarily like just, Felt like felt like the film. Nothing in the film felt especially heavy-handed to me, which I mm. appreciated. Yeah, and it's fascinating how um, how the how uh, his his son later like kind of shows compassion to Killian Murphy's character by by not telling him that he essentially was responsible for the death of the other kid, <laughs> and like how you see that you see him kind of that compassion passed on in the kid too. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, of almost, almost like a mercy in a way to like protect him from like having to deal with that for the rest of his life. Yeah. Though, I mean, presumably he would find out eventually. Yeah. 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 That's one thing. I mean, cause yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, that's one of those things. It's like, Oh, did he actually, you know, thinking about, I forget the exact verbiage, but Oh, did he actually lie to him? And like, is that, you know what I mean? Just thinking Mm -hmm. about, Oh, how would he feel after when Killian Murphy eventually finds out, Oh, the, the kid died it. Yeah. And just the kids just saying this is the best thing he's ever done. To me, I think, to Mark Mark Rylance, I feel like he's a he's an actor who something about his various his very face seems to it just feels so there's just a compassion and a, mm-hmm. like a warmth mm-hmm. in his face and like kind of a sense of common decency you feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, in his roles. I mean a steady yeah, yeah. a steady strength in a way that is like mm-hmm. not yeah, that's uh yeah, that's very powerful. Um, well, speaking of, uh, power transition, (laughs) um, something I noticed in the movie that I thought was really interesting was the way that, uh, people in power are portrayed. Basically the, the British, uh, the British commanders, the British government, um, there seems to be these kind of two poles that you see in the movie where you have Kenneth Branagh, who is this, um, this general or admiral, admiral or colonel, I don't actually remember his rank. But he is in a situation where he cares very much about the wel- welfare of all of these hundreds of thousands of soldiers on the beaches, and yet he has very little control to actually to be able to save anyone. He's basically just kind of observing it all happen. Mm-hmm. And then, to contrast with that, you have the British government who has an in- incredible amount of resources where if they wanted to, they would be able to get all of those soldiers out of there in a matter of minutes. Well, not in a matter of minutes, but very quickly. Um, but they choose not to. It's not a high enough priority to them. And I, this almost kind of reminded me of the kind of two ways that when it comes to people talking about the problem of evil in the world, why is there evil in the world? 
two different ways that sometimes people describe God um, or they they try to solve that problem in the way they describe God and saying like, like Kenneth Branagh in the movie, God is either deeply cares about humanity and what and all of all of our suffering, all of our problems or um, it, but he's actually impotent and he can't do anything to fix it. He, he doesn't have any power. He cares, but he doesn't have any power. Or that God is more like the British government in the film where they have incredible power to be able to immediately relieve suffering and fix all of these problems. Um, but they don't actually care. They don't actually have the willingness to do it. So m people might say that, oh yeah, God has great power to solve suffering and evil, but he doesn't actually... He doesn't actually uh, care to. It's not actually a priority for him. And I just, I maybe that's something I'm kind of adding on to the film. But it, th those kind of two angles of how of power when it comes to relieving suffering, I found that the I found that very interesting. Um, yeah, and and like what I find as a relief in looking at the in looking at the Bible and looking at uh, the gospel is that. Thankfully, God is neither one of those poles. He, he's not caring yet impotent, but he's also not all-powerful and yet careless. He, you know, for mysterious reasons we don't understand, he, he allows suffering, and yet he, he does care so much that he comes into the very world he created to put an ultimate end to suffering through the cross. And someday he will come back to put an ultimate end to suffering completely. Um, yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts yeah, on that. Or... Well, two, I think it's interesting because the reason that, from my understanding, uh, the reason that the, the British didn't send in uh, like their Navy to just pick everybody up and get them out of there the, uh, was just because, you know, they needed them to defend the coast. So it's, it's just right. interesting that like there, well, I think twofold. One, there was a strategic reason they didn't send somebody in to, to save all those men, mm. which is kind of interesting to think like, oh, there was a, th th even if the reason d didn't seem coherent at the time to the people on the beach, it seemed unfair or, you know, whatever, whatever, like there was a reason, but at the mm. same time, but yeah, like you said that God, because, well, basically for the British, the cost would be too much mm -hmm. to send the Navy in. And then for God, the cost was literally this, you know, for God, the father, the loss of his son, for Jesus, the son, the, the loss of his own life. Mm -hmm. But to think that he, you know, took on that, that tr the ultimate self-sacrifice for that. It's just, and, you know, obviously talking about self-sacrifice, you've got to talk, you know, to defeat an enemy, uh, you just, you know, Tom Hardy's character obviously comes to mind, which is. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I kind of, while I was watching, if, if was thinking about, oh, if I were in a, because, you know, it seems very logical. Oh, yeah, just turn around for home. Like, you, you're going to run out of uh, fuel, like. Mm -hmm. There's no shame in that. You've done what you can. But to see that the loss of that his, I feel like much of the film is like really contingent on the fact that he, his choice to go, even though he'd run out of fuel and defend, you know, like to uh, defend the people being rescued, um, that he, that the tremendous cap effect that had on specific, specific people's lives. Yeah. 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 That, that was very powerful to me to think about just the way that, I feel like often, um, to me, that brings up just the way that, you know, in a, oftentimes we think of virtue, uh, you know, and I know N.T. Wright has done work on this, and we think of virtue as doing the right thing, you know, 
in a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. But that doing the right thing in a time of crisis is often built upon doing the right thing and choosing self-sacrifice, uh, building character over the process of years. Mm-hmm. And just thinking how this Tom Hardy, it wasn't like, just thinking of Tom Hardy's choice to self-sacrifice, mm-hmm. to do the right thing, the tremendous results those had, and how no doubt that was built off of a, a series of choices that got him to that point. just thought it was interesting. Yeah, he he poured it all out. Like, he, he gave everything he had, like, down to where his tank was completely empty. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to mix metaphors, he left nothing on the field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that self-sacrifice was is amazing. Um, yeah. But to think of, I guess I was thinking of the way the self-sacrifice, it doesn't always come at a time when like the music's heightened and it's, mm. you know, it's intense and, Oh, this is the choice. You know, it's down to the minute. I've got to go the distance. You know, it doesn't come to the Rocky moment of, mm. or rather the Rocky four moment of, you know, trudging through the snow to exercise, to defeat uh, the Soviet to, contender. Defeat communism. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it comes, you know, when Tom Hardy made that decision, and again, I've, I've only seen the film once, so I can't recall if there's music at that point, but I seem to recall his decision to keep going felt very prosaic. It just felt like there wasn't particularly an epic buildup. There wasn't like epic cuts of different characters. Yeah. When he made that choice, it was just like he kind of is looking at the tank and just kind of calculating. It's like, okay, I'm going to keep, and he looks down mm-hmm. at the, I believe he looks at one of the boats and sees what's going on and he decides to keep going, but it's an undramatic moment yeah, it's with a, dramatic consequences. Yeah. It's a slow burn. Like where for presumably, I think his is the one, his, his storyline is the one that's an hour, I believe. But, um, is that right? I think that was the one. Uh, yeah, yeah I believe his, so. his one, the one was the one that was an hour and it's a slow decision that he makes at some point, or it's just a very gradual decision that he makes. And then, yeah. And, and I love, I love that the result of his sacrifice comes the moment after we see, like, we see all this, we see all these shots of the soldiers getting home and being back in comfort and he being safe again. He's alone there on the beach with his burning plane. And he, and yeah. And he, uh, yeah, and he and he died. Yeah, and well, he doesn't die, but well, he gets knows? captured. Yeah. Who knows? And yeah, in in that way, it actually reminds me of of Jesus, like of Jesus, like being on the cross. It's not only the physical suffering; it is the being alone. It is the mm-hmm. it is the my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Like that utter aloneness, um, and that is that's a that's a huge part of the sacrifice as well. Um, and I, I think too, like, I think for me, you kind of, in life, you kind of expect life to have a lot of dramatic moments and mm -hmm. life really doesn't have many, I mean, most people's lives don't have dramatic moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, in many ways that is a great blessing, (laughs) like, but I feel like, uh, I think a lot of times that doesn't mean they don't have moment, like momentous occasions. Mm -hmm. They don't have moments of great consequence Mm -hmm. and just thinking how even just, you know, the choice to. Uh, whether it's a choice to cheat in something, you know, like uh, cheat in like taxes or cheat in like a a banking deal, which is going to actually hurt poor people Mm -hmm. just in an incredible way, Mm -hmm. or whether it's a, whether he's deciding to stick in a marriage or not, like those kind of consequences don't necessarily, you know, I think a lot of times we, we think the big right or wrong decisions will have music going on in the background or we'll know, oh, this is a big deal. But a lot of times it's, it's a series of decisions 
of mo of decisions that lead us to a point and we make mm -hmm. a decision but it doesn't feel dramatic or it, it even feels just prosaic feels like oh this is you know you don't realize you don't necessarily see how what a big part you play in the story uh in the moment yeah it it you you mentioned virtue earlier and it just reminds me of that of of uh of yeah that a way to think about virtue is it is the second nature that you develop that comes through a thousand decisions. And so, vir yeah, like virtue in a self-sacrifice kind of way is it's the kind of self-sacrifice where you don't even really have to weigh it very much. You just kind of, because you have become the type of person, like by God's grace, who, who ha has become self-sacrificial through so many choices, that that is your kind of normal, natural bent. the things that stood out to me in the movie um, was the fact that I think through the course of the film you see the soldiers who are on land who are like stuck there for a week in that storyline I think you see them get on at least three different boats it's kind of hard hopes, to keep track yeah, of what of it, yeah. <laughs> in hopes of rescue and every single time the ship sinks and I couldn't help but think of this kind of parallel where as human beings, we're all looking for some form of ultimate salvation, whether in small areas in our lives or like a bigger idea of, of salvation. And we try so many different things. <laughs> we try getting on so many rescue boats or so many mm -hmm. ships to think like, oh, is this the one that's going to save me? Is this the yep. thing that's going to, to deliver me? And so many times those ships sink. And the thing that, yeah, like, and it's not actually it's not actually sustaining. And to think that the guy who stayed and in, in in the case of one of those boats, the one that was sunk uh, with that just that night, the kind of just horrifying scene, is to think that that the the literally the those men were saved from drowning. Those who escaped because there was a guy who stood outside who was kind of and you know which obviously yeah. brings to mind Christ in terms of and do you, you know, realize who outside the city gates. I, I believe that that was the French soldier. Yeah, I think you're right. Which I think it was. The I, soldier, <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. That was the actually the next thing I was going to bring up is that the very person that was responsible for saving all of those soldiers' lives by opening the door on the ship so they could get out and not drown to death was the guy that later they're all trying to <laughs> essentially kill. That they're yeah. trying to to push outside the city. So there is a there's an amazing. And I, who knows if that was intentional? But there's an amazing reflection of Christ in that of the rejected savior, the rejected shepherd who comes to save his people and they don't know him. And they like, obviously these soldiers, they don't well, know that he was the one who, and what, what were we going to say? Well, I was going to say, I don't want to push uh, cause I, you know, I have no idea about Christopher Nolan's uh, intentions. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Well, his, and, or his faith background kind of, I mean, he keeps his life pretty close, you know, keeps mm -hmm. his card cards pretty close to the chest publicly, but like, I feel, uh, you know, I'm really thinking about it. So I'm not saying this is intentional. I might be reading way too much in, but yeah. that French soldier, when you first meet him, he's, he's bearing a body and taking the shoes of a British soldier. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, he is, uh, he is an outsider coming into the world, like taking the garb yeah. of one of these people, you know totally. what I mean? Like, and it's, 
I mean, one on the human level, you think, oh, it's a, you know, on one story level, it's a survival thing, right? He's right. It kind of changes your perception of him because initially you thought he was just burying him. And then you kind of realize afterward, like, oh, he was, you know, at the, towards the end of the film, you realize, oh, he was, he was just trying to survive. Yeah. But then on another level, if he, you think of him as a salvific figure in ways that, oh, at the very beginning of the film, that's when he's entering into their world. Mm-hmm. He's an outsider entering into that world and he's going to later save them and they're going to reject him. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. So there's, there's clear kind of Christological, um, reflections going on um moving on from there something uh something that i i feel like is actually i feel like is actually the most powerful aspect of the film it's the part that like brings tears to the eyes of of kenneth Branagh's character and it's like when the music swells the biggest it's this big movement in the film of and i think this is actually the tagline on the poster for the film it's something like when 400,000 men could not get home, home came to them or something like that. So Mm. here are all of these men who all they want is to get home. They're doing everything they can to get home. Ships are being sent, you know, like they're, they're trying all these different ways. And then ultimately home, all of these men and women on like, on like, you know, weekender, you know, sailing boats come to them and save and save them that's the moment in the film that is like the most powerful emotional impact. And I, I don't, I think that that, and I think that the reason why, and again, you know, like we don't know where the filmmakers are coming from, from a spiritual or theological perspective, but I think that the reason why from, in my opinion, why that is such a powerful moment is that that speaks something very deep to our to our hearts as human beings, and I think it's actually the very story that that the Bible is telling. I think it's the very story that the Christian gospel is is showing us, which is the good news that we as human beings are lost, and we once had a home in Eden where we were at home with God, and where we where we were living in relationship with our creator. And whenever we sinned against him, whenever we rebelled against our creator, we were exiled from the, from the garden. And every human being, all of us at some point, we make that decision to choose our own way rather than God's way. And then we spend the rest of our lives in different means other than God trying to find that sense of home again, that sense of belonging again, that sense of safety, um, of comfort, of peace. It's really the sense of home that we're all longing for. And so if we think of like God as our home, our ultimate home, God comes to us. He brings home to us in the gospel. He brings that peace and that hope and that joy and that communion with himself to us. And I think that, yeah, I think in Dunkirk, the reason why that moment where home comes to them is so powerful because it's reflecting that deep desire for a thing we we don't expect. <laughs> we think we're the ones who have to find our way home, that we're the ones who are lost and have to find our way home. But the just the idea that home comes to us. Um, and they thought they were abandoned. Yeah, they thought they were abandoned. Yeah. Right. Um, and too, I mean, obviously, because... Historically, and this is admitted, you know, by Mark Rylance in the film, they those 
all those boats, they didn't, in a sense, you think, oh, they didn't have to leave their homes. They had a safe, right. comfortable, right. but obviously, you know, I, I, I don't know, I'm afraid I don't know whether this is pre or post blitz, if the blitz had kind of started by that point. You know, if their their homeland was explicitly under, you know, bombs were literally dropping over England at that point. Mm -hmm. But in any case, you know, obviously, historically, and Mark Rylance at one point, they said, what well, you know, that he, he had to come over there. You know what I mean? Because if not, the battle was going to come to them. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting just to think that, like, oh, those people left the home just the same way you think of Jesus leaving, um, you know, leaving his home with the Father mm -hmm. to undergo all that for us. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, in the in this particular the, the analogy falls apart in this particular instance because oh well the Germans were gonna come soon enough if they had you know but it's <laughs> yeah it's just beautiful to think about the uh, yeah that's that's man I, to me the core emotional core of the film is Mark Rylance's character and he's really the character you learn the most about about like Tom Hardy you know you, know, you really know nothing about um, and the other characters you learn very little about other than just they're trying to survive you're right and it. On a side note, I just feel like one of the kind of visceral kind of lessons of the film to me is just like, oh, yeah. but And I feel like more than in a way that I got from a film, say, like Saving Private Ryan, and I'm not denigrating that film at all, but like from other war films, I feel like this film more than anything reinforced like, oh, these are just a bunch of scared teenage kids. I mean, it's funny to think that literally one of those, one of the stars is a pop star, is just like, in the film, it's like a British pop star. And he's, you know, the same age as somebody who'd gotten drafted and just, yeah. he could very well have died in World War II. But just, mm -hmm. you know, because of history where he is now, he's actually a pop star. It's just kind of crazy to think like, oh yeah, just, I imagine me like being pushed just like if, you know, 19 year old me just being dropped in a war zone, like, hey man, this is what you got to do. Like, I just, it's. Yeah, I totally yeah, agree. I, I think that there was something brilliant in the casting choice of Harry Styles for that of like, hey, let's take this, this former teen idol who we associate with youth and like the prime of life and let's put him in a, in the most life-threatening situation in him among a backdrop of thousands of others like him. Um, yeah. Uh, is, is fascinating. The and one too, I thought it was uh, interesting that they all kind of looked the same. They all had the same, he chose act mm. actors of mostly the same coloring mm. in terms of like, you know, same colored hair, you know, obviously they're English, they're English, they're going to be primarily fair skin, <laughs> yeah. but also they were, you know, you know, they just all had the same color hair and really it was a little hard to keep them straight in a way, mm. like in your mind, which I just thought was just, oh yeah, because, you know, this, you think of rows and rows of young kids, similar looking young kids all just mowed down. It's kind of, to me, it was like a sobering kind of, oh yeah. Yeah. One final, one final thing I was thinking about, um, and obviously we can talk about other stuff after this, uh, but the thing kind of in, in continuing the homecoming for them, salvation, hope, rescue coming from home, and then the parallels that I was talking about with that, with the gospel, the thing that is so striking to me, whenever they get home, whenever we see the troops coming home, um, and they're like getting blankets and they're like getting, getting, uh, you know, refreshments and meals and stuff. There is such a heavy, um, there seems to be like a heavy kind of tone of shame and guilt, uh, upon them, like where they, they're all kind of feeling that of like, that they failed their mission. They're all failed soldiers. You even see it more explicitly of whenever, um, the blind man is, is handing out blankets to all of them. And he's saying, well done, lads, well done. And like, 
And one of the soldiers, because he's not looking at them, he thinks that like the old man is ashamed. And he says, and he says like in a defensive way, well, at least we survived, you know? And so they all kind of have this shame and, and heaviness on them. And what I was thinking about with that is, gosh, um, whenever you are in a situation where you have failed, where, where you need rescue or salvation, and you recognize in some sense it's, it's of your own doing, um, when you are saved, there is such a tendency and such a, um, such a, uh, well, being prone to feeling shame and feeling continued like guilt and shame for the fact that you even had to be saved and that you had to be rescued. Um, obviously, these soldiers, they're like being, they're being led in mass by generals, you know, like, so they're not directly responsible for, um, for their capture and for their like being stuck in Dunkirk. But I couldn't help but notice the parallel of how um, whenever, whenever we are, you know, in, in the gospel, whenever we are saved, we may come and feel that kind of shame of like, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry for everything I've done. You know, like we, and, and like it goes beyond just like that repentance to continuing to feel shame and continuing to feel like we have to earn the love of the father and stuff. But that, that is, <laughs> thank God, that is the opposite of what God wants of us whenever we come to him. Um, he wants to, if we think about the story of the prodigal son in Luke, uh, he wants to throw a party for us. When we, when we come home, when we come home to God, he is not holding it over us. He's not telling us we have to work as we have to like be a farmhand or like essentially a slave working for him to like earn our, earn our way back. He immediately accepts us as sons and daughters and puts a ring on our finger and a choice robe and throws a party for us. And so I was just, I was uh, watching that part of the film where these guys are rescued, but so full of shame and just thinking, gosh, I'm so glad that in the gospel, in my being rescued by God, that I am freed from that kind of shame and I'm freed from that kind of heaviness. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that you thought about that or. Yeah, no, that's uh, very powerful because I think, uh, yeah, just thinking too of how, regardless of performance, if we're, you know, just, yeah, thinking of the shame you feel of a failed performance, mm. just thinking of, you know, the desire we all have to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. And just to think that in Christ, there's that like, yeah, there's the acceptance we long for. Mm -hmm. I also, I mean, I also thought it was like, there was like a sweet release in, um, in the fact that, well, kind of a funny thing to say but as, as I recall when they're on the, the, the train and Harry's lack of a character name Harry Styles is, is kind of going on about that sense of failure that they're passing you know one person says it's enough you know all we did was survive and somebody says well it's enough mm -hmm. but also they pass some beers through the window yeah and man I, I think it's probably the most kind of I can think of the most kind of emotional scene <laughs> involving beer in it because you you know I think it's fin du monde or something they're, they're passing it but just to think of like after such a hard time to arrive home and have somebody give you, you know, just because alcohol is just, you know, 
biblically and in a lot of ways, you know, it's associated with times of celebration. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, at least uh, in moderation, it's also associated with misery and excess. (laughs) But uh, I feel like just thinking of that coming to the end of the road, and that was certainly not the end of England's road Hmm. in the war. Right. But yeah, just thinking of that is like uh, just very powerful to be welcomed home and to be given a drink Mm -hmm. and to, man, what that must have felt like to have a, have a drink on your home shore. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, well, I think that that's, I think that's all I have. Uh, so thanks for listening to Lens, and uh, yeah, be back later with uh, more reflections and on uh, yeah. Next, we're gonna do the 1966 Batman movie. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> a film that's very been kind of really influential deeply influential to me like kind of the scene where he made he uh he maces the shark <laughs> is yeah or, or maybe he just blows it i don't forget he puts a bomb in it uh, i don't know it's just pretty stuck with i think about it every night well <laughs> it's the last Cry. image in your mind before you fall off to sleep um, <laughs> but uh okay well that's it thanks for listening bye